Episode 30, Controversial Chiropractic Statements on Every Corner. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. Shelley O'Connor perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. This is our final week of Women's Spotlight. It's turned into a eight-week, nine-week series. Really happy with the way it turned out. I hope everybody has enjoyed the different perspectives, the different professions, and um, definitely, if you like it, let me know. Send me some comments. We will definitely try to do more. Um, if you have an idea for a, a, a series, for sure, let me know. Justin at a doctorsperspective.net is the email. The show is for you. Welcome back. Today in the show, we have Dr. Shelley O'Connor, chiropractor. She has a really great story. You know, so often we hear on podcasts, they were never rags to riches. It was like, it just came to them, right? Or they had a struggle, but it wasn't really that serious. And she's had the struggles. She's found herself. She went on a different kind of path than you might expect. She is a strong, innate intelligence type of chiropractor. She's a cash-based, but just does it differently. And we go through a lot. You can see that the episode is long. So um, relax or exercise, whatever it is you're doing, and enjoy our hour with Dr. O'Connor. All the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash three zero. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got a continuation of Women's Spotlight today. We have Dr. Shelley O'Connor, chiropractor, cash practice with an amazing story. So happy to have her on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I had heard you on another podcast and I was like, wow, this lady has got it going on. She's got a really good story. She's had the troubled past, not so great start as a chiropractor, which I think many people can relate to. And then now she's kind of branched out. You've branched out into your own thing. You're cash based, but you're doing it your way. And true. I really like that. I think that's really awesome. So I'd like to hear just kind of how did you become a chiropractor? Why did you choose this profession? And um, kind of your backstory? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I I don't think I chose to be a chiropractor necessarily. And I know we hear this a lot at seminars that chiropractic chose me, but it really did. I was hurt really badly in the military, pretty miserable at 22 years old, couldn't do anything, got out of the army, went to a chiropractor because an osteopath in the army said, when you get out of here, find a chiropractor. And I went to a chiropractor I have no idea what he was doing. He never talked to me. He never explained anything, but I was better. And I, I didn't know why. I went to him for probably six months. Then I moved away, had no idea that I was supposed to continue. He never said anything. I, I really don't recall him ever speaking to me. So <laughs> I don't know what was happening. I just knew I was better. I was different. My perception of the world was was different. And the way my body functioned was so much better. Fast forward a couple years, I was living in Washington State, and I was back to being really miserable again. Everything hurt. My knees were just screaming all the time, and my back hurt. And I had broken my L5 when I was in the Army, but it went undiagnosed. So I actually didn't even know I broke it till I went to chiropractic school and looked at my own x-rays. But anyway, that's a different story. Wow. Um, so I was kind of miserable and I was at a traffic light and the car in front of me had a license plate that said, I adjust you. And around the license plate was a frame with the name of this chiropractic office. And I thought, 
I need to call that person. So I went home, got out the phone book. These were back in phone book days. Got out the phone book, called the chiropractor, and I said, hey, I was just sitting behind you at the light, and I'm not sure why, but I feel like I need to come see you. And I went in, and she explained chiropractic to me and explained the nervous system, innate intelligence, universal intelligence, and I said, oh, well, now everything makes sense. Like, why didn't anyone tell me this before? And then I became really angry because no one had ever told me about this. And and if someone had told me about chiropractic when I was younger, it could have changed the entire course of my life and my family's life and my friend's life. And we all could have been expressing greater health. And I got really on fire for chiropractic as a chiropractic recipient. Mm-hmm. And this was like 24 then, years old. Yeah, at this point, yeah, I was about 24. And then when I was 27, I moved back to the East Coast. A friend of mine was working as a receptionist for a chiropractor. I went in to get my adjustment because I I needed to get adjusted. I knew at this point that you need to get your spine checked at least once a week. And I went in to get adjusted, and he was so inspired, I guess, by how passionate I was about chiropractic that he offered me a job. So I started working there, and that went well for a little while until I started going to New Beginning seminars. The chiropractor wasn't going to the seminars. I was going. And that started to cause a rift because I I was kind of branching out. And then when I... I was sitting at the desk one day and I had kept denying to everyone that I would be a chiropractor. People kept saying, you're going to be a chiropractor. You're going to be a chiropractor. I was like, I don't want to be a chiropractor because I grew up with the mindset that girls don't do science. Mm -hmm. And so I had no idea how I was going to do any of those classes. And I just didn't, I, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an English teacher and I wanted to write and I wanted to speak, but I did not want to be a chiropractor. And one day I'm sitting in the office during my lunch break and I started getting this funny feeling in my hands and I, I looked down at my hands and, and I said, oh, okay, I'll go to chiropractic school. True story. True story. So that's how it happened. And I almost didn't go, even after I moved to Spartanburg, I almost didn't start school because I was so disgusted with the state of the profession and the philosophical division within the profession. And then there was a point during school when we first had to start doing hands-on palpation where I just got really grossed out and I left the room saying, oh, I've got to quit school. I can't do this. If I have to touch people like this, like I'm, I'm going to hurl. So I thought at that point I wasn't going to even get through school. But I did, and and school really, aside from that, getting over the things like I, I didn't like touching people's feet, and you know those were the hard things for me in school. Right. Everything else in school was easy. I, I didn't understand anything the neuroanatomy teacher said, which is disappointing because that's probably one of the most important classes for us had it been taught from a chiropractic perspective. Um, you got to relearn that later. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I know. I I really don't feel like I learned much at school, to be honest. But 
I got through school no problem and I went to seminars constantly. I was always at a seminar or I was always working at the seminars that were held at Sherman. So I was meeting everyone. I knew all the speakers. I knew I knew everybody. Like the and I kind? did some speaking. Yeah. I, I I did some speaking. I helped organize Lyceum. I I brought Dan Millman to Sherman College. Like I just did all kinds of stuff. And I even organized a student, uh, like a student, kind of like a lyceum, but it was a two-day event with awesome, awesome speakers, and we had a really great time. So I was pretty active, pretty known in the profession while I was still a student. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where things started. I guess. Okay. What was uh, what was New Beginnings? Is that something that I should know about? Is a philosophical weekend that happens in New Jersey. So I think the guys that started it maybe used to be involved with DE. I'm not I'm not positive. Okay. But it's definitely a philosophical gathering. They have a lot of great speakers. It's very inspiring and empowering and you get fired up and then they might sprinkle in a little technique. And it's been going on now for quite a while, maybe 20 years, maybe. I'm not sure. Okay. So it's the mindset, I used to the go, power, I think, the adjustment type of rah-rah stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very heavily philosophical. My favorite part was always when Pasquale Sarasoli would speak. And he's this old-timey chiropractor from Brooklyn. And he had a really funny voice. And he would talk he would talk on a level that I understood everything he said, but a lot of people would say, Oh, I don't understand Pasquale. I don't get what he's talking about the light and the bones. And you know, they, they didn't, they couldn't go there. Whereas for me, it just clicked. I, I just, I got it. The philosophy was something that I immediately clicked with and it just made perfect sense to me. So yeah, it was hard actually to go to school and find out that most of the classmates had no idea what chiropractic was at all. And and even to go to seminars. Yeah, there's not a lot of questions on boards. No. And, and to go to seminars and meet chiropractors that don't know what chiropractic is. So uh, that was definitely a challenge and, and continues to be a challenge. And you went to Sherman, which is kind of the epitome of straight chiropractic, the power of the adjustment. Absolutely. Yeah, and they still mm – -hmm. We're able to beat it out of you and just, just worry about pathology and physiology. Well, I think when a profession is forced to comply to allopathic boards, what are they going to do? It's kind of it's kind of like the kids now in public school are taught to pass a test, mm -hmm. but they couldn't possibly count back change when you buy your coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, it's, it's you know, they, they can't balance a checkbook. They can't file their taxes. They can't do anything. They can pass a test. Yeah. And I feel like that's true in most education. Yeah. And I, and I would say with, with chiropractic, it took me a while to realize that I would need to know any of this stuff. I'm not a super straight person at all, actually, but I still believe in the power of the adjustment. And it took a while to kind of get that influence. You have to find it and find the right people mm -hmm. and the groups that you kind of resonate with. It's going to get that power because you kind of get lost in clinics sometimes. You're just sort of floundering around. They All they care about is pain, but you're like, there's more to it than pain. And then you start questioning, well, is there more to it than just pain? And mm -hmm. it's a it's a big thing. So how how was your first I, I clinic I think that's stuff? something that's unique with Sherman mm -hmm. is I don't feel like my clients in, I, you notice I don't use the P word. Um, yeah. 
patients. Oh, patients. Uh, okay. I was like Palmer. Because, because the, no, <laughs> patients, because that word means to sit silently and suffer. So I do my best to never use that word. Okay. My clients in clinic were not necessarily there because of pain. Maybe pain brought them in, but they knew that they were there because they wanted their subluxations corrected so that their bodies could function better. Mm. And I think Sherman does provide the opportunity in clinic for students to practice giving that that spiel to the clients, to the public, and and they don't focus solely on pain. Oh, nice. You don't have to have pain in order to adjust the person. You just need to have some indicators that there's interference in the nervous system. So that is definitely something that I felt Sherman did really well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't think mine did that much at all. I think the students nowadays need to really put an effort out there to find a seminar or like like you did, spearhead it and bring these people to campus mm-hmm. and have like a weekend once a year, mm-hmm. once a semester to just uh, learn that part of, of chiropractic a little bit better. So Right. Huh. So your first couple of years in, in clinic, did you associate or did you start on your own? After school? Yeah. No, I didn't do an associateship for a few reasons. One, I've only heard, at that point, I had only heard one story of someone having a good experience as an associate mm-hmm. and every other experience I ever heard of was horrible. Two, I was so on fire and so delusional that it didn't occur to me that I would need to be an associate because I was just going to go out there and take on the world and I'd be seeing 400 people a week in no time. So yeah, that's what that's they're selling. <laughs> didn't occur to me that I would should or could or would associate. Um, also, I only would want to work for someone who's cash only and it's kind of hard to find somebody who's cash only who can pay an associate a decent living. So you wanted to do that from the get-go? Oh, yeah. Okay. I never wanted anything to do with insurance. I had worked briefly for a chiropractor who did insurance, and I got physically sick doing the, doing the insurance filing. Like, I would gag. I, I couldn't do it. Uh, kind of like a stress thing? Because I knew. I knew philosophically it was wrong. The, the diagnosis codes and the, the whole allopathic paradigm of medical insurance is so antithetical to chiropractic that I just could not do it. I knew I was lying as I was pushing the buttons on the keyboard. Mm. So I just could not do it. Okay. Disclaimer. Not everybody feels that way. <laughs> I know. I, I'm fully aware that not everyone feels that way. Um, but I get what you're saying in a sense I, too because yeah. you have to play by the rules. So you have to figure out, okay, what's the proper name for what they have? And the hardest part is like when it's when they're not having a, a full-on uh, migraine or a full-on show rotator cuff sprain strain. We're like, no, they're just – they're uncomfortable. They don't really have a lot of – they don't have an official diagnosis, but you have to have one. To build the insurance company versus, well, they're they're uncomfortable with their range of motion. Like, what do you put that on as? You know, right? And you also have people who come into you and they are feeling amazing, but they want to get their spine checked because they'd like to have any subluxations corrected before they become symptomatic. Right? Yeah. How do you bill that? So <laughs> exactly, you cannot bill for that. Yep. So I just could not participate in the insurance thing. Just. I, it, I can't do it. Okay. All right. I'm curious. Have you noticed that the associateships these days have gotten better or you kind of said horrible. I've got my own idea of why they're horrible, but have you seen that change much? Uh, 
I don't know because I haven't really talked. I don't know anyone who's graduated after me really. Okay. So I'm not sure what's happening with people coming out of school right now. I know they're coming out of school with an awful lot of debt and I thought we had a lot of debt. So I I don't know how they're doing anything that they're doing. I I really don't. Yeah, that's a true statement. Uh, So you weren't seeing 400 when you jumped out of school. (laughs) Did you join a management company? Did you do the fatal sin and not join a a management company to? Oh, no, I went through at least four of them. Four. And I had less money every time. (laughs) It was your fault, right? Of course. Okay. All right. So any... I did what they told me. Yeah. I did what they told me to do, but I still had less money and, and I was not growing. And and there are a few reasons for that. Can I talk about that right that now? That was exactly what I was going to ask you. What do you think was the reasoning for this? So here's how they hook you. There are only like 3% of Americans getting adjusted, right? Okay. Maybe some statistics say 10%. Right. Those are the people who had a car accident, went to a chiropractor for six weeks. That That's it. They didn't really get chiropractic or, or get any uh, understanding of what chiropractic is, but you know their car insurance paid for it, so they don't care. Right. So they suck you in by saying, hey, Americans want alternatives because the medical doctors are killing everybody and 97% of the population needs you. So when you get out of school and you open your office, they're going to be lined up outside your door because this is what Americans are looking for and there just aren't enough chiropractors. And you're at the seminar and you're like, yes, this is so true. Everybody needs me. Oh my God, I'm going to be in so much demand. How am I going to do it? Like, I I don't know how I'm going to work enough hours to see all these people that are going to be lined up because everybody needs what I have. Mm -hmm. And that's how it starts. And the marketing they give you is so good. Yes, because it makes sense. They're right. 100% of the people in our planet, on our planet, need chiropractic care. Absolutely. I agree with you. But how do you get them into your office and how do you have a pay structure that they can afford? Because when you understand that everyone needs chiropractic, you understand that all of the children need to be getting checked. So when you have the average American family on the average American income with very little disposable income and they have two kids and two adults and how are these four people going to afford to get adjusted? I don't know, maybe once a week. I mean, once a month is really not cutting it. Would you work out once a month? No. So getting chiropractic once a month, eh, it's really not going not gonna to get you your greatest benefit. So they don't really give you the practical application of how you're going to convert all of these people into getting your big idea. Mm-hmm. And you also have a profession that for the most part doesn't get the big idea. So when, say, 10% of the profession gets this big idea, say say 50%, let's do that. Let's just say 50% of the profession gets it, that lifetime care is important, that we need to be high volume because we have a sick country and we need to save everybody. Okay. Well, the other 50% are referring people out to pain management, telling them chiropractic can't help them, seeing them only for a car accident or workman's comp situation, during which they mainly do the things that pad the bill, and the person usually doesn't get a whole lot better, and then they leave and they don't know that they're supposed to ever get checked for subluxation because they don't even hear the word. So now we have not only a large public that 
needs chiropractic care, but they don't even know that they need it, and they've been educated to believe that they don't. Then you throw in the fact that they're medical doctors, despite the fact that it's illegal to tell them not to come see us, their medical doctors tell them don't, don't go see a chiropractor. So this is a major uphill battle. And when you're young, inspired, on fire chiropractor, you've got the philosophy, you want to go out there and save the world with the power of the adjustment, and, and you get out there and you basically get your teeth kicked in yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. Right. The paradigm there is definitely different. Yeah. And for me personally, I'm single. I don't have family. I had nobody to like give me a hug at the end of the day. And, and I don't mean to sound like a whiner or, or sound weak, but I think when you have no support, you're, you're getting your butt kicked all day long. You meet people all day long who have something snide to say about chiropractors. You're trying really hard to meet your overhead. And then you go home at the end of the day and there's nobody to like just give you a hug and say it'll be okay. You, you, you know, try again tomorrow. Right. So it's, it's hard. Definitely. It's really hard. Yeah. The support group is <laughs> – people don't realize like how much a support group because most of us kind of have one of those of some sort. Mm-hmm. And so we really kind of don't have anything. You really are just beat up unless you're purposely beat trying up. to find it. And didn't have Facebook back then either to where you just read nope. all the positive comments and just get your – Get your jive flowing again. It was just go home and that's it. I hope my buddies are around. Nope, oh, they want to. They're busy. All right, by myself today. Yeah. Well, and also I think you get so. For me, I was so shocked that I wasn't super successful, and I was embarrassed. And when I did reach out, I got a lot of, "Well, you're not trying hard enough. You're not working hard enough. Well, why aren't you more successful? You were the one we expected to to." be super successful and so then that just makes you feel worse that's not helpful right so i kept withdrawing and i got to a point where i wanted nothing to do with the profession Mm -hmm. nothing i was done out see ya because i just i basically I, i had a love affair with chiropractic and it broke my heart right you know and looking so that <laughs> looking back, I, I, when I look at my own um, pitfalls in clinic and, and struggles and things, my communication wasn't always the greatest. Like, how do I word it and all that kind of stuff? When, when you look back, are there anything that you can think of where you're just like, but for management companies, you would think they would have had the golden speech at this point that you could have memorized and, quote, converted clients into paying customers and all this kind of stuff. But that part right there to me was difficult. Uh, it was sounded easy. It sounded like, oh, all I got to do is learn this script because it gives the basics of chiropractic, the complete overview, and it worked for all these other guys who are really successful. Well, why isn't it coming across well for me? I mean, did you have any kind of, of those moments or, or revelations? That, the communication, I think, is a big problem for a lot of people. And the fear of public speaking is a big problem for a lot of people. For me, not a problem. Not a problem. I'll stand up and talk in front of anybody. You can put me in front of an arena full of people and I'll talk. I I don't think I have any trouble communicating what chiropractic is. Mm-hmm. I think that people have spent so much of their lives hearing the opposite of what I'm saying that I have to say it over and over and over and over and over until they finally get it. Mm -hmm. 
my part of my issue I think was I didn't know anything about running a business. Okay. I didn't know anything about running a business at all. I didn't I, my parents had jobs. Yeah. I, I never had any role model on how to run a business and another problem for the philosophical on fire chiropractor you love chiropractic so much and you want to help people so much that you want to do it for free right you can't do it for free but you want to how is it that our profession so that's does hard that so too. often it well i I think it's because your heart is in it and you just you just want to help these people live better lives. And when your heart is that open, you you just want to give it away. And even now, sometimes I feel like, oh, can't I, can I just do a box on the wall? But I can't afford to do a box on the wall. <laughs> I, I want to. And if I ever win the lottery, I will immediately that day switch to box on the wall. But... I, I can't. I have to earn a living. Yeah. And that's a challenge. So it's hard to to know how to ask people for money. Mm-hmm. I can tell them. I can teach them about chiropractic. I can't ask them for money necessarily. And I think a lot of chiropractors have that problem. Now, the management company's answer to that is, well, your CA does all the financial stuff. The doctor never talks about the money. The doctor only talks about chiropractic and the front end handles the money. Well, who's going to pay the front end? Yeah. I'm not even making any money yet. How am I going to pay the staff? Right. You know, so they don't have a solution for that because I guess they all had money before they got into practice or they did insurance before they switched over to cash, or they lived with their parents and didn't have to pay rent, or they had a working spouse, or something. They had some sort of cushion. Mm-hmm. But you can't have your staff talk money with the clients if you can't afford staff. Yeah. So that's that's And that's something we don't learn in school. We don't learn in school how to ask your clients for money, how to feel comfortable asking them for money. A lot of people, when they get out of school, are not confident in their adjusting. They're, they're not confident yet as doctors. And then they've got to ask people for money. That's huge. And the banks – And clinic doesn't don't like really you. prepare you for that. Yeah, and the bank you – know, Oh, the banks don't like us. Yeah, the banks don't really care for the uh, gigantic student loan. And then chiropractors definitely apparently have a, a decent uh, default rate on these, on these business loans apparently. So it's not easy to even get the business loan to float yourself. Uh, right. So you're, you're kind of like you said, you're limited to either maybe renting space in somebody else's office or just this is how much I saved. It has to work. I've got three months. And like you said, mm-hmm. if you don't. So I am curious. And, um, and we'll definitely go back to what you were talking about for sure. Have you found a way? Is there any books or like podcasts or anything that you've learned how, how to ask for money to get comfortable no. with that? No. I, the What I did, what worked for me is I left the profession for a while. And then when I got back in, I had a job. And I did chiropractic part-time. Mm. And I kind of had an attitude of, I don't really care if they come in or not. Like, I want them to, but I'm not, I don't need them to. So it wasn't that I didn't care, but it was that I was not in a position of needing. When you need money, you can't get it. Oof. You're not going to attract it. It repels you. Because people are like, whoa, we don't want to go to her because she needs money. 
But if you don't really, you know, my bills are paid. If you want to come in and this is how much it costs, if you want to come in, awesome. You're welcome. If you don't want to come in, it's all right. I'll still have dinner tonight. Yeah. It changed everything. It changed everything for me. When I was in practice the first time, the first couple months, I wasn't worried because I was still so optimistic. But after a while, when things were really tight, I wouldn't open my mail. And I would just throw it all in a drawer in my desk because I, I was like, why bother opening it? I can't pay any of the bills. And my car insurance agent called me up. We had become friends. And he said, Shelly, have you not been opening your mail again? <laughs> and I, I said, no, why? And he's like, well, your car insurance is going to get canceled tomorrow. Can, can you come up with something? So I would come up with something so that I at least had insurance on my car. But you know, it was really hard because there wasn't any buffer. And then on the advice of my accountant, I got a job. Mm-hmm. And that was what I had. It's, it's really funny because when I first got out of school, I kept saying to other chiropractors, I really just want to get a job at Whole Foods and then kind of work my way into chiropractic gradually. Oh, you can't do that. If you do that, you'll lose your focus and your passion and you'll never be successful. And rah, 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 A doctor rah, doesn't rah, rah. work at a grocery store. Oh, it was awful. And this is what they told me over and over again. Well, when I did it the second time, my rule the second time around was I wrote down all the things that practice management companies and other chiropractors told me to do. Mm-hmm. And I did the opposite Oh, because I love Seinfeld and I decided to be like George Costanza and just do the opposite. Give me, and give me an example. That's what I did. I want an example if you would mind. Would, would indulge me. Okay. So they said. Don't get a job and do chiropractic part-time. Mm-hmm. Well, I did the opposite. I got a job and I did chiropractic part-time. They said, you have to have set hours and make appointments. I don't make appointments. I have open hours. Uh, they said, you have to put people on a plan of care. I don't do that. I tell people, listen, your brain and your nervous system need to be communicating fully if you want to live your best life. So at least every American should have a chiropractor living in their house to check them every morning and every night to make sure they're awesome all the time. Since that's not practical, you come see me whenever you want to be more awesome. I, I put it on them. It's not up to me if they come in or not. It's on them. They're grown adults. Mm-hmm. So that's the opposite of anything a practice management company would tell you to do because you have yeah, to – Yeah, that one's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> you, you have to use the cancer voice, right, and explain to them how serious the subluxation is and how it's causing degeneration in their spine and they're going to die. Wow. And they're going to die too young. Oof. And, and because of this, you really need to commit to being in this office three times a week for at least six months and you need to pay for the whole thing in cash right now. Oof, I hate that. And you need – and you need, you need your spouse here to hear this report of findings because this is so serious and your life is in so much danger that your spouse needs to know. I'm sorry, but I can't do that. And approve that big check. That's just not me. I can't give that spiel. I understand it. And yes, I could give it. I just did. But I can't feel good about myself at the end of the day if I'm talking to people like that. I, that's just not something that I can do. Some people can do it. Do you, Go for it. Do you think at this point, when I wasn't, uh, I saw a lot of it and I hated it. Do you see, is it still, is that still like popular? Are doctors still strongly doing that these days or have they, 
they pulled a new leaf over the last couple of years? That's hard for me to answer because I don't go to seminars. I don't listen to any practice management people. And I don't hang out with chiropractors, so I don't know what they're doing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The only way I know what people are doing is when clients come to my office and they say, oh, I went to a chiropractor once because I was in a car accident and I was there for six weeks and they hooked me up to all these different machines and then they sent me to pain management and I got some cortisone shots and then either they got dismissed or they then got referred to surgery and got a fusion. That's the story I hear over and over and over and over again in Vegas. I never heard that story when I was in Massachusetts. Oh, no. In Vegas, I hear that story every day. Wow. Every day I hear that story. So it it really depends on your market. Yeah. In Massachusetts, what I found was a lot of people had a chiropractor already. Mm -hmm. There are lots of good chiropractors. There are lots of family-oriented chiropractors in Massachusetts. So... The clientele there seem to be a little better educated in terms of chiropractic and and already had their families under care in my area. So that was a different struggle. Um, but out here in Vegas, all I hear is, you know, I went for a car accident and you heard the story. Well, it seems like with, with the car accidents, it's hard to because no, they're not paying really a dime typically. To transition these Mm-mm. people to, okay, nice, you probably come like once a month and kind of maintain what you're doing and you're going to have to start paying that out of pocket. Like, you can convert some, but it seems like that's a really tough nut to crack right there to, even if you are educated. I don't know if I want to take on the challenge, but I bet you I could convert them. There you go. Because what I would say, and I'm not going to do it because I don't want to participate in car insurance, <laughs> but what I would say is, you know what? It's really fortunate that you had this car accident. Because it got you in here and now you have the opportunity to learn about something that you should have been doing your entire life, but no one bothered to tell you. So let me explain to you how the body works. You have a brain, you have a spinal cord. Your brain and spinal cord communicate out the intervertebral foramen, and I'd be showing them the pictures, to every cell in your body. Everything about how you perceive the world, respond to the world, and function is controlled by your nervous system. And so right now, you're in my office where I have the opportunity to correct your subluxations so that you can have a greater expression of life. So you know what? Be glad that that car rear-ended you because that brought you here. And now you're going to be even healthier than you were before the car accident. And let me tell you something. I understand that right now, you know, the car insurance is paying for your care. But you needed this before you got rear-ended. You've needed this since you were in the womb. And, I mean, there you go. It's not that hard to teach people the truth. Yeah. And what – so, okay, so now you're – you're in Vegas, you're doing more, you know, like a cash, no, no care plans. Um, mm. How's all that? How's it working? It's fine. Could it be busier? Yes. I definitely have time for it to be busier. Personally, my body has a hard time. So I go through periods of time where I'm fine. I can adjust all day. It's all good. And then I go through times where even adjusting three people is excruciating And I think there's no way I can't build a big practice because if I do and these people are counting on me and I can't perform, I'm letting them down. So I've not done anything to build my practice here for that reason. No. And I I haven't. The only marketing I've done here is a little bit of Facebook and that's it. Okay. 
So it's more word of mouth referrals. It's all word of mouth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So would I, would my heart like to see a hundred people a day? Yeah. Would my wrists and shoulders and neck and feet and knees and back like that? No. Have you looked into instrument adjusting? I do. I do. I do a lot of instrument adjusting. Okay. It's still. I'm surprised. I I was was expecting. My hands. I have a hard time with my hands. So, I mean, I work on them a lot, but even my hands, I have a hard time with because my neck is destroyed. I left school with a perfect neck. And, and here's a, another issue with the profession. I, my neck isn't a mess because I, I left school with a perfect neck. Okay. So what happened? I went to a lot of people who do really sloppy supine diversified. Mm. That's what happened to my neck. So because my neck is so bad, I currently have five herniated discs in my neck. I have become much like the public where I'm afraid to go to a chiropractor. What? Because I, I, I don't know if this is going to be the one that paralyzes me. Wow. So what style I, of a – yeah. What kind of cervical adjustments do you like to give? Like sit it? Well, or? it depends on the person. I, my techniques focus on adjusting you where you are right now at this moment in time. And so it could be it, – it's always different. I use torque release technique. I use the arthro stim with the corin specific technique. Once in a while, I do supine diversified, but it's a very specific supine diversified where I just move the bone. It's not grab your head and crank it in two directions. Right. I don't understand where that came from, but it's abuse. And as hard and, as you can. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised we don't have more strokes, to be honest, well, with people doing that. And I'll tell you this. Like, I see some stuff here and some of the acupuncturists will, will adjust this way. And they're just really, really aggressive. And they're like, Justin, why don't you adjust like this guy? And I was like, uh, because I've been trained. And that's, right. to me, I'm like, why go harder than is necessary? Why adjust all five when you only needed the one, you know, C4, C5 is all that needed it. I don't need to adjust all of them. And I'm amazed at the resiliency because like no, nothing's yes, happened to these the people. the body's strong. Right, the body is strong. And it's, that's why I was just like, wow, maybe we overutilize x-rays. Because I see some crazy bulges, protrusions, all these different things every day. Some get adjusted by me, some get adjusted by other people, and they're fine. They get better. Sometimes they don't get better, but I don't really see them getting worse. And I'm just like, it is amazing that our body is able to handle everything that we we throw at it. And uh, maybe that's why the stroke risk is like, what, 1 in 3.2 million adjustments or whatever it is. Well, there there are a couple reasons for what you're noticing. One... It's very important that we differentiate between an adjustment and a manipulation. Okay. So the one that the, the joint that subluxated is the one that needs an adjustment. Okay. So if five other ones move, those are being manipulated. But number two, when you look at the philosophy, the body, we're not really doing the adjusting. We're just putting in a force. The body takes that force and does the best it can with it. So if the body is able to integrate that force, no matter how nasty that manipulation might look, if the body can integrate that force in a positive way, it can correct itself. A great example of that is there have been times, I'm sure this has happened to many people, it's happened to me many times, where you're walking along and you step on a pebble or you step off the curb and and curb and your ankle just kind of folds and you hear a loud noise and you think, oh no. And then... And then you wiggle your foot around and, and you think, 
oh, it actually feels better. Mm -hmm. The body integrated that force in a good way. So when people come to me and they say, oh, you know, my old chiropractor, he really was able to crack a lot of stuff. And I, I said, let me guess. He did your hips two ways, three up your back and cranked your head in two directions. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, the reason it was amazing is because number one, you move the joints, you're going to get endorphins released from your brain. So basically you're on crack. Two, sometimes they get lucky. So theoretically, I could push you down the stairs mm -hmm. and every thunk down those stairs, your body could possibly integrate in a positive way and you could feel better. Chances aren't great, so I'm not going to push you down the stairs and I'm going to actually ask your nervous system what you need and be specific because I think that's a better way to do it than just randomly hit a bunch of high spots and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. That's the flying right? seven but you I talk think, about. Yeah, the flying seven and the pop and pray. Yeah. So, you know, they crank on your head and hope you don't have a stroke. It's not how I want to practice. No, no. So, and you are experiencing the patients, obviously, your uh, clients, clients are uh, enjoying. See, look, I've changed you already. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to tailor what I say <laughs> to the person I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go both ways. Some people are like, uh, some people are offended by the word client. They're like, what am I, a stockbroker? You're like, well, not really, but I don't know. They still, clients, patients, they're kind of similar, you know? Uh, well, I tell them why I call them clients too. Yeah. I explain that that word means to sit silently and suffer. And they're like, oh, oh. Client. And it makes them think about the medical profession and the allopathic model. And, you know, you get to plant the little seeds. Client gives you a little bit more, the patient a little bit more responsibility and power in the relationship as well. Where, because I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten experience too much of, uh, well, the doctor said this, therefore I must do it. It's like, was that the 70s? Because I sure don't experience that with my clients at all. I don't think a lot of chiropractors experience that, but it still happens with the medical profession. People still do what the medical doctors tell them, even when it makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. I actually had that conversation with three different clients today. Oh, how'd that go? I was like, but that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Well, he said I had to or I would. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know. They always tell you you're the worst case they've ever seen. And they're obviously the specialist and they're the best in their field. And you're the worst case ever. And if you don't take this, you're going to die in four days. It's like, it's all baloney, but. It's a good it's a good marketing tactic. Maybe you get a second opinion. Yeah. Or or maybe if you don't like their results or their solutions, don't ask them. There you go. You know, if you if you don't want drugs and surgery as the result, then don't ask a medical doctor. Ask somebody else. Ask a naturopath, ask an acupuncturist, ask a chiropractor. If you want something other than drugs and surgery, you have to ask someone other than a drug dealer and a cutter. That's a decent point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because you could... Because what are they... They're, they're going to tell you what they do. Yeah. Those are the only solutions they have for you, drugs and surgery. That's it. They don't have anything else for you. They're not going to, they don't know anything about putting you on a good diet. They don't know anything about exercise. They don't know anything about correcting your subluxations. They don't know anything about fascia. I wouldn't expect to go to the medical doctor and ask them, what's a natural way to reduce my cholesterol and diabetes risk? But a naturopath, I mean, you're probably going to walk out of there with a half a $500 worth of products if you're not careful, because that's what they True do. True story, because they sell you products instead of information. Absolutely. Yeah. And the a, a better question if someone were to ask me, how do I reduce my cholesterol? I would ask them, why do you want to reduce your cholesterol? What makes you think that you need to reduce your cholesterol? Who decided what our cholesterol numbers should be? 
because that number that you're going for was set by the pharmaceutical industry and it was actually lowered so they could get more people on the medication. So why do you even want to participate in that paradigm? Mm -hmm. So when you're like me and you talk in that way, you blow people's minds all the time because they're you're saying everything the opposite of what they hear all day long. They watch TV and they hear all those commercials about how they need all these things. They're on Facebook and the ads pop up for all the drugs. All their friends are on three or four or five different medications. So when you say something that completely flips the paradigm upside down, they don't even know what to do with that information. And often they can't even hear you. So you have to say it again and again and again and again. Right, because they can't hear it yet. And I've heard a number that you have to say something nine times before somebody gets it. I don't know if that's true. I have told my dogs to stop barking about 9,000 times and they still don't get it. So I'm not sure what the magic number is. But people can't hear you yet because all they hear is all the other noise. And they're, even if what you say makes sense to them, they're still locked into another model and there's so much fear in that other model that it's hard for them to break out. So you've kind of created a niche for people of people that kind of resonate with the way you kind of think. Like there's going to be people that obviously are repelled by, by what you're saying. They're like, I don't want to go to a yeah. chiropractor who doesn't have the allopathic viewpoint somewhat versus someone who's like, I agree with what you're saying, so therefore – I'll definitely go with you. Let's let's do this. Let's conquer health the way you're talking. Mm-hmm. Would, is that right. would you agree with that? Uh, uh maybe. They listen to me more than I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess they get it. They must get it cuz they keep coming back, but I still have to say the same thing over and over again. So There we go. I I don't I don't know. And it's funny because I do open room adjusting. Okay. And sometimes people will ask me, well, why is, you know, why this? Why? Whether it's their sacrum they're asking about or why their thoracics are tight or whatever they're asking about. And it's funny because now my answer has been repeated so many times that often other people who are waiting to get adjusted will answer for me. (laughs) And my answer is always... Emotional, chemical, and physical forces have overwhelmed your nervous system and created a subluxation. That is always my answer for why. Oh. And but and then when they ask, but why? I'm like, nobody knows the answer why. If somebody tells you an exact why, they're making it up. The real answer is emotional, chemical, and physical forces have overwhelmed your nervous system and created a subluxation. That's the only answer. And which thing was it? I don't know. Maybe it was the culmination of all of them. Yeah. Nobody knows for sure. And they just want to know. But you're subluxated, so be quiet and let's correct it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the why doesn't really matter. Right. Put your face on the paper. (laughs) They want to know it's because they picked up their sock and they got a herniated disc in their low bag. Like, why was that? Well, I understand when you lifted 100 pounds, but just picking up your sock, well, maybe that wasn't the reason, you know? Right. It was all the things you did before you picked up the sock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. As far as someone who, say, is coming out of college, maybe they've been out a year for a year or two, they're really kind of struggling uh, to, to be successful, if you will. What Any advice for, for them to try to get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job for a lot of reasons. One, having a paycheck coming in takes all the pressure off. It allows you to be real and genuine and relaxed with your clients so that you're comfortable 
with the money conversation or more comfortable with the money conversation. And it, it just takes off that pressure so that you don't feel like you're freaking out all day, every day. Another great thing about getting a job is uh, you can usually build your practice with the people that you work with. A lot of them will end up becoming clients in your office and then they'll refer clients. And if you work with the public, maybe you can give out your card and say, hey, this is, this is my other job. This is what I do on the days that I'm not doing this. I'd love for you to come by. Welcome, you know, invite people to come to your office. So I think getting a job, unless you've got, you know, a trust fund or a working spouse or whatever to take the financial edge off, I think getting a job is the best advice I can give anyone coming out of school. When at that point, they'll better, they better have low overhead too, because then you're going to have the stress of a $8,000 a month. Uh... And that, that's my second piece of advice. Keep it simple. Keep it super simple, keep your overhead low, and start small. I know we're chiropractors and we have big egos and we think we should have enormous offices with all the fancy technology and we should all be driving, you know, Teslas, but we can't. Not right out of the gate, you can't. So keep it small, keep your overhead low, keep it as simple as possible Keep good financial records so that your taxes are easy because really you don't even need to be spending money on an accountant if you keep your stuff organized and simple because TurboTax will do it for you. So there I just saved you $500 and just the turtle wins the race better than the rabbit. Yeah. How does the public, because I, I was thinking about that whenever times were tough. I was like, maybe I need to go to Home Depot or something and, and uh, just get a job for like, you know, hopefully six months, pay the bills and then, yeah. you know, build the yeah. clinic or whatever. But um, beyond just like, oh, our ego says we shouldn't get a job. Do, what are the, the coworkers like? What would someone think of like, wait, you're a doctor and you're working here, but you have a clinic. Why would I go see you? I want to see the person that actually like, you know, is busy or full time. Like maybe you're not good or you're not cutting it. Maybe that's why you're working here. What do you say to like that type of mentality that has to creep into somebody's head who's just graduated school? Absolutely. And and sometimes it creeps into your own head. For sure. Where you're like, oh, am I, am I a loser because I'm working in a retail location and I'm a doctor? The truth is we're all just people. And when you're honest with people, I don't think they care that you're working at the store. I've had a couple people who were like, well, then why are you working here? And so I will tell them. And and depending on when they asked me this question, my answer might have varied. Mm -hmm. In more recent years, my answer was because I like to keep my 20% discount. And because I like meeting people like you who need me and there's no other way I would have met you. Mm -hmm. But earlier I would say, well, I'm just starting my practice here and I don't want to be a slave to the insurance industry. So in order to build what is the most ethical practice for me, I need to have a job while I grow my office. Yeah. And they're like, oh, cool. Because suddenly they, they know you're ethical because you just threw that word in there. Mm -hmm. They know you're growing and everybody always wants to help you grow. Okay. And the fact that you were honest and related to them on an honest level, they get that and so they trust you. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's a problem. And I think working at Home Depot is a really good idea because almost everybody at Home Depot is wearing a back brace. <laughs> they sure are. Right? So clearly they don't understand body mechanics and they all need help. There we go. So you could build your practice with those people. <laughs> In the, um, anything else on that on that question? 
seemed pretty good. Um, about what advice to give the students coming out of school? Yeah, that seemed pretty good. But uh, Okay, the other advice I would give a student immediately coming out of school is to immediately get on the income-based repayment for your student loans and don't ever let it lapse. Mm. So fill out that paperwork online and get enrolled and make sure you put a, a note in your calendar a month in advance to go in and, and reapply every year because if you miss it by a day, they're going to take a huge amount of money out of your checking account. So always do that income-based repayment until if you get to a place where you can afford to make $3,000 a month payments to your student loans, fine. But in the beginning, get on that and stick with it. Make sure you don't let it lapse because that's huge. So you can change it at some point. I thought once you're on it, you're always on it. No, you don't have to stay on income-based repayment. Oh. And if you if you don't reapply, you're off and mm -hmm. they take a lot of money. So like if you were like, I only make 50000 this year, perfect. But if the next year you don't fill it out, they're you're back to your regular schedule and all of a sudden you're like, uh, right. I didn't increase my income to 200000 How am I supposed to pay this? Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. So always stay on top of that. I think that's that's uh, really important for students or new graduates to know. I... Keep it simple. Get a job and get on the income-based repayment. On that note, And yeah. keep good records and write off everything. There you go. I had yeah. heard with the, with the income-based, at the end of the whatever it is, 20 years of paying – Whatever is left, you owe tax as income. So if you still had a hundred grand left, then that hundred grand is attached to your income for that year at the very end of the program. So you owe like, I don't know, 30 grand or 20 grand worth of taxes, which really? you can separate See, out over the next few years. Did you I heard that if you do it for 10 years, they forgive your, your loans. But either way, we're probably going to die owing on our student loans. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm going to die owing on them okay. because they don't go down. Okay. I was talking with someone the other day, a, a client came in and she was talking about her student loans. And I go, well, how much did you owe when you graduated? And she said, 30000 And I, I was like, oh, that's nothing. That's like a car payment. What are you complaining about? And she said, and I've been paying my payment every month for 10 years. And I go, well, how much do you owe now? And she said, 29000 Because of the way the interest I don't know what her interest rate was, but it sounds like it was what pretty her salary high. Was like you should be able to pay that off. No, she wasn't even doing income based. She was doing regular payments. All right, but I mean, like whatever job you have, if you make right, even if you just make fifty, you should be able to pay off a thirty. That's like a you car. Would, like you would think, you would think, but I guess a lot of students got really bad rates, and that's true. so even I hear people that even had these little loans, and I'm thinking, you should have paid that off the first year. <laughs> And, and they're not paying them off. So either way, Sally Mae's making a lot of interest money. Yeah. So when you have a $150 note for 10 years, you don't realize like the next 10 is probably going to be really high. And maybe you still don't get to uh, write off the principal yet. Yeah. Yeah. So solo doc, we'll wrap up here soon. Um, vacation. I'm a big proponent of recharging. You got your own kind of clinic. So what do you do for vacation? Are you able to take any? Yeah, I'm going on vacation next Thursday. Um, I think vacation is really important. I love time off. I'm very good at time off. I would be really good at being independently wealthy yeah. because I know how to fill my day. Okay. 
I think people who aren't good at time off are people who would or who get are miserable when they retire. You've heard of that happening, like people retire and then they're miserable because they don't know how to do anything but work. Oh no, I'll be really good at being retired because I love time off. So to have time off, you just have to book it. Okay. Once it's booked, you gotta go. Just book it. You just book it. And book it far in advance and let your clients know you're going to be gone. And usually they're excited for you. They want you to have time off. They want you to recharge mm-hmm. and and just do it. And yeah, you're not going to make any money that week that you're gone, which is why a lot of people do like multi-level marketing and other forms of uh, multiple streams of income so that maybe some other money is coming in. Mm-hmm. But I also have a couple of clever little savings tactics. So my favorite savings tactic is that if I spend cash, I only carry 20s and above. And every day, anything that I have that's a 10, a 5, or a 1, I hide it. And if you do that for a few months, you'd be amazed at how much money you just hid and you just paid for a vacation. Oh, so you just get rid of it. It's kind of like a forced savings. Like, all right, I had $15 and change. That is going somewhere else, and I'm not going to be able to spend that. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one of the ways that I pay for my vacation. And the other way is because I book them so far in advance that by the time the vacation comes, I've already paid for everything. So all I need to take with me is my spending money, and I have it because I've been socking away tens and fives and ones. So it's like I'm going on a free vacation. Hmm. Some ninja moves right there. Yeah. Okay. I'm not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I bought my plane ticket. I'm going to Denmark. because Why? Because I've never been to Denmark and I want to go. And I bought my ticket last year. I bought it, I think, last November. Wow. I bought a ticket to Denmark. Yeah. And I'm going in May. And then I booked my room. Or I, I rented an apartment. And I already paid for it. So... Oh, an apartment. That's, That's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, like on Airbnb. Oh, yeah. Duh. Come on, Justin. Yeah. And a friend is going with me, so she's paying half. And uh, I found our travel tip for the week. Yeah. Airbnb. So if you do it in advance like that, like I, last year I went to Italy. I went for the Women in Chiropractic Conference, so I was able to write it off. There we go. And I bought my ticket in advance. And so that was paid for, and I paid for my rooms, and I paid for my Airbnb, and all, it, it was all paid for. So all I needed was spending money. That's easy. Hmm. You can do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. personally, I think Denmark would be a great place to go. So uh, I'm a little jealous. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm trying to learn how to braid my hair like a Viking. Well, um, Google. I mean, uh, YouTube it. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> my my wife got this little, I don't know, like a, a, a piece of plastic. And all you have to do is put your hair through the plastic and you can get these amazing braid designs. I don't think oh, she's, I need to Google that. Yeah, I don't think she's actually ever used it because I think I'd have to learn, do it for her based on how where it's at. So uh, maybe I should um, do that for our anniversary, like learn one way and make her look like a, yeah. a goddess, an Asian goddess. Princess. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. I've got a homework now. Okay. Um, do you happen to have any kind of morning or lunch routine that excites you or grounds you and gets you excited for the rest of the day? I wish I did. I am the most non-routine person I know, and having a routine is hard for me. I I need a routine. I think it would be good for me to have a routine, and I would love to have an accountability partner. I've never had anyone really to hold me accountable except for those practice management people that I fired. Yeah. And I... 
I don't do the same thing two mornings in a row. I don't get up at the same time. I don't do anything the same two mornings in a row. But I should probably start. Are you a listy type person? Like I got to do a list for a day? Sometimes I do a list. If there's stuff I really know I want to get done the next day, I'll write them in big letters on a, with a Sharpie on a sticky note and put it on my computer screen so that I don't forget Yeah. because I, I got so many things going on that I'm like distracted over here and over there. And then, Oh, I forgot to do all the things I needed to do. So yeah, I do make lists or I put reminders in my phone. Like for tonight, I put an alarm in my phone to go off 10 minutes before our talk so that I didn't, get distracted and forget that we were doing this. And I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I mean, it's good to hear because uh, so many people, I don't know if that's the answer they're supposed to have. Of course I have a routine every morning at six 30 and then, or they're like me where I kind of have a routine, but probably could do better. So it's kind of nice to know that not everybody's got it all together like that. And, and maybe it's good to do that and maybe it's not. We're all different. Yeah. So for some people that works and for some people it doesn't. I think that for some people a routine is boring mm-hmm. for them. And it, so therefore it's not inspiring. If I lived in a different place, I might have a different routine. I would love to have a morning routine where I would go hiking. So when I lived on the other side of town and I had a big dog – and I lived in an apartment, so the dog needed to be walked. I had a routine because every morning, the first thing, she and I went for a walk. Oh. And so that created routine, but it was my circumstances creating the routine. It wasn't me creating the routine. Right. That's a, that's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a night owl then? Yeah, I am. I can be a morning person if I have to be, but it seems like my body prefers to go to bed around two and get up around eight or nine. Yeah. I wish, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because that's definitely like my body right there, but society forces us to get to work a little bit earlier and, uh, you know, anytime I've ever thought, yes. Justin, maybe start work at like 10 and just work until like 6 or 7 o'clock at night. But then I start thinking, boy, but 7 o'clock you've missed. If your buddies wanted to go out, they don't want to eat at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And you start missing all these social activities. And I'm like, dang it, patients don't want to come in at that time. You're like, all right, well, I guess I got to bend a little bit to the world here. But I Pick the hours you want to work and people will find a way to get there. There we go. You ready for the last question? I work 12 to 8. You work 12 to 8? 12 to 8 on Tuesday and Thursday and 2 to 5 on Sunday. Okay, well, hang on. That last question then. 8 eight o'clock at night, people are showing up? 7 o'clock at night? I used to be open until 10. What? Yeah. And then I was open till 9. And I found that most of the time I was done by around 8. So I decided that the couple of people who didn't come in until the, between 8 and 9, I told them they needed to come in earlier. Wow. So is that a so busy I time? Said, like six to eight? Is that like where you see 80% of your clients? Most, I see most of my people from five to seven. Okay. But, uh, and I see, I get busy like around like 1230 to 230. Mm-hmm. But I just stay open the whole time. Okay. And so I'm there 12 to 8. And then my busiest is Sunday. And it used to be only 3 to 5. And I expanded it to 2 to 5 because it was too busy. Sundays. Sunday. Well, that's a new day. But I live in Las Vegas. When I lived in Massachusetts, I was open at 
seven, six to 10 or seven to 10, maybe seven to 10 in the morning and then three to five or three to seven in the afternoon, mm. because that was the clientele there. But here in Vegas, it's different. So you got to adapt to where you live. So what's up with Sunday? They just. Uh, so when people eat. are free. Okay. They're just really busy the rest of the week. They're, yeah, they're free. I mean, if they have kids, they've got Sunday, Saturday is not possible. Right. Because they have kids that are in 9 million activities. And and they've all got 37 birthday parties every week. And, you know, Saturdays just don't work for most of them. So Sunday, Sunday afternoon, usually they're, they're good. Unless it's like Super Bowl Sunday, they're good. Wow. All right. Yeah. Hearing new things today. Yeah. Last question then. Yeah. <laughs> Do you happen to have any uh, favorite books or blogs, podcasts, or even like a fancy phone app that you enjoy uh, that other people could benefit from? Right now, my favorite thing is the Overdrive app, and it's an app for audiobooks that you link to your library card, mm -hmm. and then you borrow audiobooks directly from your local library, and they download to your phone and you listen to them. I don't currently listen to any podcasts, subscribe to any YouTube channels, and I have a hard time reading actual books because I have two dachshunds and they won't let me read a book. Like they jump on, they knock the book out of my yeah, hands. But you're doing overdrive, so, so that's I do the same a, thing. Well, I do a ton of audiobooks. And what I'm currently listening to, I sprinkle in a little bit of fiction or some self-improvement here and there. Mm -hmm. But mostly what I'm listening to right now is more um, autobiographies and biographies because we learned through this last election and, and just throughout recent history that we really only know what the media tells us. Uh -huh. So I decided to spend some time listening to books by people that I like and don't like and agree with and don't agree with simply because I wanted to hear their version of the story. Whether or not I believe what they're telling me, yeah. you know, maybe maybe some, maybe not. But for example, to give you just a, an idea of who I've been listening to, I have been listening to Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, George Bush, George W. Bush talk about himself and his father, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, who else recently? Oh, Trumpo? Um, no. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Carter. Oh, that's some big influential um, people, though. Right. So I just want to hear what they're taught, what they have to say. And, and then I throw in some other people, like some writers. And like right now, I'm listening to Sandra Cisneros, who's a, a Chicana writer and born in the United States, but she's Mexican. And so hearing her version of what's going on, that's where my focus is right now. If you had asked me this question a year ago, I was probably only listening to Harry Potter repeatedly. Okay. So it just – There's a lot of books. It just – it depends. Yeah, I, I do a ton of audiobooks. Yesterday, I cleaned out my closet and while I was cleaning my closet, I listened to Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. So I throw things like that in there to kind of take, take my – give my brain a little bit of a rest. But actually, Tina Fey's book was pretty – pretty awesome and she had some amazing things to say about feminism and and women and oh speaking of feminism i listened to gloria steinem and i did a tom brokaw book and barbara walters so just getting the mix and hearing all of them 
and then forming my own opinion. I need to get some Barack Obama in there. I haven't done that yet. Um, I'm even going to listen to Rush Limbaugh, which I'm working myself good. up to that because I don't I don't know how much I'm going to like it. Yeah. But hopefully I won't throw my phone at the wall. So he does, I'm he's just a big influencing put, you know, person too, for sure. Though he is absolutely love him and, or hate him. Um, and and believe it or not, I was definitely not a George W. supporter, and yet I enjoyed his book so much. It was it was charming and the way he wrote it, and I actually I I kind of like him a little bit now. I, like you can really, still like if him any and not of the policies, people, right? And I and I think. When you look at these people, we, we judge them for what they've done. And hey, I, I mean, I do it. But if they were just clients in my office, if, if George Bush or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton came into my office to get adjusted, I would like them. Yeah. I would like them as people. So that's my project right now is hearing everybody's stories and – accepting them for where they are and seeing what I can learn from all of that. Very good. You know, I had forgot about the uh, Overdrive library. I always talk about why buy all these books when you can rent them for free. And now audiobooks are popular. You're like, yeah, just go to Overdrive. I forgot. It. That's amazing. Good job. Yeah, thanks. I love it. I was doing Audible and I own a ton of books on Audible. Yeah. But since I found Overdrive, I'm like, oh, unless it's something that the library doesn't have that I really want to listen to, then I'll go on Audible and use one of my credits to buy it. Mm-hmm. But Otherwise, I'm sticking with Audible for right now. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, if you want people to get in contact with with you somehow, how would they do that? I'm hard to get in touch with. Okay. I guess Facebook. Facebook is the easiest way to get me. Okay. Um, and they can t- people can text message me, but I never answer the phone. Okay. Or like a website or anything. So. Yeah, but I don't. I don't look at my email. You know, I don't look at my email. <laughs> so yeah, I guess Facebook is the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. <laughs> Like I actually have – I dislike talking on the phone since we – since cell phones were invented, I don't like talking on the phone. And I loved it when they were attached to the wall. But now that it's a cell phone, I, there's that delay and so you're always interrupting each other because you think the other person stopped talking but they really didn't and I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. So my ringtone on my phone is Lady Gaga singing Stop Calling, Stop Calling. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so <laughs> – I don't want to talk on the phone. <laughs> you probably swipe up and have the pre-made text. You know, just text me, right? <laughs> yeah, I need to do that. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> well, any closing remarks before we uh, bid farewell? Um, I, Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm flattered and honored. And I hope that the things that I said will help somebody. And if anybody is offended by what I say, I'm I'm sorry, but... I didn't mean to offend anybody. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure and good luck for 2017. Okay. That was a good episode. A little controversial. I'm sure some of the listeners who are chiropractors are like, no, that's not true. You're going to have other doctors saying, I knew it. See, that's what's wrong with the profession. So both sides of the story, you got people who agree with her, people that don't agree with her. But all I can say is it was good. It's good to hear another opinion. Challenge how you think. Challenge the idea of like getting a job if you're a new student. Um, learning how to like you know ask for money. And um, I kind of liked her uh, little ninja saving tip too. So I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for your time. And, and um, I'm glad that you found what is working for you and keeping you happy and 
providing food on the table. So, um, so just keep doing what you're doing. A doctorsperspective.net slash three zero for the show notes. Stay tuned for the travel tip coming up. A big thank you to everybody who purchased the book. For those who are considering it, a doctorsperspective.net slash free ebook. You can get yourself a PDF version for free. If you watch the video, fantastic. You'll see the different reasons why you should read the book. We've got things from helping with headaches, stretches, and exercises that you'll actually do. Ways to figure out food labels. What's the deal with sugar? Tricks for portion control. And a nice chunk of the book, how can your body heal itself? Are you minimizing? Why are some people negative about chiropractic? What does it actually do? What is pain? What is a misalignment or a subluxation? You can go on Amazon. They got the Kindle version, paperback book. As always, there's merchandise at the resources tab. There's podcast t-shirts, chiropractic t-shirts, mugs, whether it's getting a cup of coffee. All the stuff is high quality, good ink job. If you like what we're doing, giving back a little bit, keep the show going. Definitely not necessary, but of course it's appreciated. If you head over to the website, the top right is all the social media flavors. Pick what you like. Friend us, of course, active on Instagram and Facebook the most and trying to do more live videos, trying to keep everything fresh. The pictures of my travels are typically on both of those. Big rush on Facebook, slow drip on Instagram, of course. If you want to leave a comment, definitely do that. It helps us to know how to improve the podcast so that you guys like it better. And of course, if you leave a review on iTunes or your Android app, that's very appreciative. If you want, screenshot it, boom, throw it up on Facebook, tag me, and I'll give you a shout out. Travel tip for the week. Have you heard of Airbnb? There's other ones too, like house exchange. But if you're tired of staying in hotels when you travel, you can rent a room or an entire apartment for usually less than a week in a hotel. And then you have all the amenities that you can imagine. So it's pretty sweet. And in a way, it's a little safer than, say, like couch surfing, where you actually stay on somebody's couch with them usually there. And that's typically free. But, you know, it can be a little weird. Uh, You know, oh, I've never been to Cincinnati. I'm going to stay in somebody's guest room that I don't know. But with Airbnb, you are paying for it. And so whatever it is that you're staying at, it's uh, cleaned, it's professional, and uh, there's, you know, guarantees and all kinds of stuff like that. So you might check it out. Where? We just went hashtag behind the curtain. And this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.